Corey. This finds you having a good morning. Looking forward to uh, beginning this new topic that we are uh, kind of launching out of our study of the book of Judges, where um, we've been looking over the past little bit, and especially with the life of Gideon and some others, that there's this idea of the people did what was right in their own eyes, and this idea of not really uh, having any kind of discipleship or um, any of that nature and, and what it causes. And uh, I'm going to be looking at a series over the next while uh, that we're going to really kind of entitled Dying, Dead, and Unaware. And uh, we're going to be looking at some different things. Um, but today, the main thing we're going to be looking at is asking a question that um, I think is, is really vitally important. However, uh, can be very controversial um, because of the way that it would offend people. And I don't think it should be offensive. And the reason why is because I think that if we look at it in the realm and meaning that it should be stated and intended, it should be one of love and care. But I'm going to start today off, and it's probably going to be a two-part podcast. Uh, I'm not sure. But the question I want to start off with today is, are you really a Christian? Now, I know that many times if someone were to come up to you and ask you that question, there's an automatic knee-jerk response immediately. Many times... If someone were to come up and ask you a Christian, it may be one of those, well, of course I am, you know. And you do it without even hesitation or thought. It may be one because I really had this question posed to me when I was in the middle of Wijambu, South Korea by a missionary that was serving as a pastor over there. And the moment he asked me, it ticked me off. I almost went to the point of, what right do you have to even ask me that? The problem was, is I was openly living in sin. That was the major problem. And because I was openly living in sin, it actually made me start questioning some things. And when this missionary asked me this question, it made me so mad because I couldn't answer the question. And so what I want to do is I want to start with that question, but I want to be able to take it to another level and then really begin diving into this podcast of why I'm even asking these questions. Not only do I want us to look at the question, am I a Christian? The next question I want to ask is, how do you know? And I think the second question is as, if not more important than the first one. So let's build off of these questions. And I want to start off with a philosopher named uh, Rene Descartes. And he is famous infamous, however you want to phrase it, for a statement where he says, I think, therefore I am. 
as I've been pondering on this idea of asking these questions, am I a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? I think it's a relevant question for our culture and our society today for this reason. I've changed Descartes' statement and I've I've moved it into today's Christian culture. And I think that the majority of people today believe they're a Christian because of this statement. I say it, therefore I am. We live in a day and time to where we kind of feel like if I just declare it, if I say it, then it has to be. This idea of speaking it into existence. And unfortunately, what we've done is we've taken, and when I say we, I'm talking about culture, and even the Christian culture, we've taken this idea of just being able to kind of speak it, and we've put it into this idea of, well, if I just say it, then it's true. Adolf Hitler was um, known for making a statement that was roundabout like this, if you tell a lie loud enough and long enough, everybody will believe it. It goes even into ourselves. If we lie to ourselves long enough, we'll eventually believe the lie that we're telling us because then we can't differentiate the lies and the truth. So you say, why are you going into all of this in order to be able to go back to these questions? Because I believe that what we've allowed to have happen in our Christian culture today is we have had a significant amount of people that just say they're Christians, therefore they think they're Christians. We've got a lot of people that have been told over and over that they're a good person so much so that they don't recognize they're dead in their sins and they need Jesus. I've made a statement in uh, our church and through some different things over the last few months that I believe that most people are so morally saved they're spiritually lost. I think we live in a day and time today to where people are so morally centered. And what I mean by that is they believe that if I can just be a good moral person, then I'm saved. Because that's what Christianity is to a lot of people. It's just being morally good. I treat I try to treat people right. I try to, you know, be a good husband, be a good wife. I try to be a good father or mother. I try to be, you know, good at my job and I try to I, I try to do all of these things and I'm a good overall person. The problem is the Bible says there's none good, no not one. You can be good morally and spiritually lost. You can be the proverbial give the shirt off your back person. And split hell wide open. Because being morally good has nothing to do with your salvation. Being morally good has nothing to do with whether you're a follower of Christ or not. And so what I want us to do is I want us to be able to look at some passages. And to be able to really talk about this idea of am I saved? Am I a Christian? And how do I know that I'm a Christian? Because one of the things that we've got today... And I want to preface this by making a comment as well. I'm not trying to cast judgment on people. I'm trying to cause us to sit down and think about our eternity. I'm not going to sit down and try to tell you that because of this, this person is lost, or because of this, this person is lost. What I am going to say is that the Bible is very clear what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
Now, I'm not going to try to sit down and claim who's saved and who's not, but what I am going to do is I'm going to use Scripture and I'm going to deduce it down and say, if this is what the Bible says a follower of Christ is, and this is what this person is not doing, then according to Scripture, they cannot have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's just that simple. But see, what we've done, especially in our culture by this whole... um, trying to just say that I'm a Christian based on my morality, what we've done is we've looked at it and we've muddied the waters as much as we can. We're looking at situations and saying, well, you know, I'm just so busy or I've got so much going on in my family or we've got so many things going on and we try to explain away why we're not really serving the Lord. But we're without excuse. It's not a matter that we're too busy to serve the Lord. It's not a matter that we got too much going on. Because you know what? If, if the situation is, is that you're too busy to serve the Lord and you got too much going on, your priorities need to change. Because see, the, the thing that we got to look at when it comes to being a follower of Christ is that He's got to be the centerpiece of everything we do. It's not one of those things to where we just call ourselves a Christian, we get our get-out-of-hell-free card, and then we just kind of live this life the best of our ability, and then one day Jesus is going to call us home, and He's going to give us uh, these mansions, and He's going to give us all this stuff because we simply just believed in Him one day. Jesus never called the, the people that were His followers Christians. He didn't call them converts. He called them disciples. And disciples would sit at the feet of their master and they would emulate what the master did. They wouldn't just sit down and listen to a little bit of teaching and then go on their way and do what they wanted to do. They actually did and mimicked what the the, the master did. That was the idea of being a disciple. And if you look at most of our modern churches today, you have people that go in to get entertained on a Sunday morning and then you don't see them the rest of the week. They give Jesus that hour, maybe at most an hour and 15 minutes. And, 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 hey, I've done my duty. I'm telling you right now where I I even pastor. There's people at 12 o'clock that already start looking at their watch and then looking back up at me wondering why I ain't done yet. We've got a problem with giving time over to the Lord. And my question is this, if Jesus is really the centerpiece of your life and you love Jesus with your whole entire heart, why is it so hard to give Jesus your time? Why is it so hard that whenever uh, you are coming to worship that you're more worried about your watch than you are worshiping the Lord? See, these are questions that unfortunately a lot of times are not willing to be asked because we're scared to death of offending people and we're scared to death of people and their response to these things. But I can promise you this, that if Jesus was sitting in a crowd and somebody was looking at their watch, He probably would have asked them to get up and leave. Because Jesus... Under, see, here, here's the thing, and this is, this is where I want us to go with all of this. I'm afraid that we live in a day and culture where we think Jesus needs followers. And you'll never find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus was begging people to follow Him because He was in need of followers. What you find is Jesus looked at Him and said, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Me. And if you're not willing to do that, then you don't need to be My disciple. 
Jesus didn't walk around and just go around begging people and saying, Oh my goodness, I need more followers. I need more numbers. I need more crowds. No, Jesus said, I need more disciples. And the disciples were very hard to find. See, when you listen to what Jesus Himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus started in Matthew seven fifteen when He says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that that word fruit there is singular. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Jesus said, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, what fruit is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ, then the Bible tells us very clearly that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. And in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and the first part of verse 23, here is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it is not plural. Okay? If you read verse 22, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. But in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what Jesus is telling us here in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, is that if you are going to be a disciple of me, then the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces will be evident in your life. So let's look at these for just a minute. What is he talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love? All right, Jesus gave the command, what we would call the great commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So let's just start with love, and let's just ask ourselves this question. Am I a Christian? How do I know? Do you have the love of Jesus in your heart? All right? Do you love God with everything that you have in you? Is God the centerpiece of your day, your life, your moment? I'll give you an example. I have two very precious boys. Now, if I walk around and tell you all the time, man, I know I'm a good dad and I love my children so much. But the only time that I see my children is maybe once a month. How are you really going to believe that I love my kids? If you come up and ask me and say, well, does your job prevent you from seeing your children? Well, no. Do you travel a lot? And is that why you're away and you only spend one day with, or, you know, one day with your kids in a month? Well, well no. Well, then why do you only spend one day a month with your kids? It's just because I choose to. 
I really do love them, but I just I only want to spend about one day a month with them, and, and that's all I need. I get my fix in that one day, and then I kind of go away from there. How is it that someone can say they love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, but yet, when you look at the grand scheme of things, considering spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time worshiping Him, we might be able to come up with 24 hours in one month of how much time we actually spend focusing on God. We might spend five minutes a day reading a a quick devotional. We may throw up some really quick prayers of God bless my family, God keep us safe while we're traveling, and God bless our food. We might show up to some type of worship service maybe once a month because we got too much going on in our lives and we're too busy and we've spent all week and all weekend burning the candle at both ends, but on Sunday morning that's our time to rest so we just choose not to go worship with other believers. But yet we love Jesus. Is that really so? Is that really true? Can you love someone that you don't want to spend any time with? Are we really saying that I just want Jesus to make sure I don't go to hell, but I don't really want to spend time with him? I want to make sure that I go to heaven because I really don't want to spend eternity in hell, but I want to do this life my way. I want to do things the way I want to. I don't want to be tied down in doing all of this other stuff of reading my Bible and praying and going to church and going to Bible study and all this kind of stuff because I just got too much going on and I'm focusing on me. Well, is that really loving God? With your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus added another part of that command and he said, To love your neighbor as yourself. Then I asked this question Is there someone of a different race, different color, different creed, or ethnicity that you struggle with? Do you struggle with people of a different color so much so that you wouldn't want to be in the same room with them? Do you struggle with someone of a different ethnicity and different color so much so that you would be uncomfortable in a worship service with them in the same church service as you? Do you stereotype people based on their ethnicity or their color? If you go back after September the 11th, there wasn't a single person of an Arab nation who could get on a plane that wasn't stereotyped. Even to this day, if you go into an airport and you see someone of an Arab nation, there's thoughts that go through people's heads. And it's because what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to stereotype and justify and rationalize hate for someone of a different ethnicity, a different color, a different creed, just simply for the fact of who they are. When you look at what Jesus did, Jesus did not look at certain people and say, oh, you know, if I hang around them or if I go around them, it's, it's going to cause problems. Zacchaeus was one of the most hated men. He was a tax collector, and yet Jesus said, I want to go eat dinner at your house. What we do is we look at people that are different than us. And we begin to create mindsets and mentalities about them to where we don't love them enough to share the gospel with them. 
We don't love them enough to be able to sit down and say they need Jesus just as much as I did. We look at them and we say because of their their skin color or their creed or their ethnicity that, you know what, I'm just going to stick to my people. We're going to get into this in a little bit later on in uh, a few podcasts uh, from here about this mentality that we see in the church right now called the us-them mentality. It's amazing how many people within the walls of the church, we're the us and everybody else that's outside the walls of the church are the them. And we want to take care of us and we don't want to take care of them because them out there don't deserve it. But we, us, in here do. And what we've done is we forgot that we all need grace. We all, no matter what our skin color, ethnicity is, or whatever it may be, we all need grace. We all need salvation. We are all dead in our sins. And we are all needing to be made alive in Jesus Christ. But when we look at just the first of the fruit of the Spirit, love, we can see that there's a major problem with us being able to continue on with that. You look at the next one of joy. Take just a few moments right now and think about this question. Can you name three people that are in your circle of influence? Three people that you know that on a regular basis have joy in their life. Not happiness, but joy. Can you name them? Or are you having to think an awful lot about it? It's really hard to find people who have true, legitimate Jesus joy in their life that aren't faking it. Now, me and my wife talk about this all the time. There's a lot of people who love to over-spiritualize. And what I mean by that is they're Facebook Christians. It's, it's this mentality that they walk around all the time like they're on this spiritual high and they're, they're not going to regard suffering or trials or temptations. They're not going to regard any of that because God's got this and everything. And they're not being realistic. What they're doing is they're using religious jargon that they've heard. They've used this bumper sticker theology in order to try to get through life rather than having true legitimate joy. See, true legitimate joy is whenever Jesus went to the cross and the nails went into his hand and he still had joy. See, we look at true legitimate joy is when everything's going right in our lives. True legitimate joy is when everything is still, I mean, just absolute chaos around us, but yet we know we have Jesus and that's enough. See, joy is what you have in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trials. Joy is not mountaintop. Joy is when you can still rejoice in the midst of the valley. I can tell you right now, personally, I can't think of hardly anybody that I know that regularly walks with joy in their lives. The next one, peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And when you translate that, it's actually that you can be still, you can be satisfied, you can be comfortable in the midst of chaos. The kind of peace that Jesus gives. You can be okay when the storm around you is raging. Think about patience. We live in one of the most impatient societies and cultures that there probably is on the planet. 
When we think about it, we are such an instant gratification society, we can't wait for anything. We don't know what it's like to wait because we don't have to. And we don't have patience in our prayer lives. We don't have patience in our Christian walk. Listen, Jesus is not in a hurry. And what happens a lot of times in our lives is we are... We go to God in prayer and 15 minutes later when God hasn't already moved and and taken care of it, we get tore all to pieces. Kindness. I'm going to combine a few of them here. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Do you really know a lot of people that fit the mold? Even people who call themselves Christians that you can say are genuinely gentle, kind, and good? What about faithfulness? Even when we don't understand and even when we don't know what's going on. Self-control. When we look at this fruit, Jesus says, this is how you will be known. You will be known by this fruit. And this fruit will be regularly producing on your tree. And notice Jesus says that a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And a a good tree can't produce bad fruit. So if I'm a true disciple and follower of Christ, I'm not going to consistently be angry all the time. I'm not going to be rude to people. I'm not going to talk down to people. See, that's that gentle, good, and and kind spirit about yourself. If you know somebody who calls themselves a Christian and they are consistently ugly in their talk, they're demeaning in their talk, they talk down to people, that, that, there's got to be some questions there. we got to sit down and start looking at, at our lives and looking at the fruit that Jesus says is supposed to be there. And just because somebody says they're a Christian does not mean that they are. I know that there's so many people that's walking around today, whether it's with their gender, whether it's with you know some people that are professing that they're animals, uh, basically, right now, everybody who walks around, all they have to do is claim that they're something. And the moment that they claim they're something, that's their new identity now. And their identity can constantly change. The problem is, is if I identify myself with Christ, then what I've done is I've died to self. I no longer claim anything. See, this is important, and I want you to understand this. It's not that I go around claiming I'm a Christian. It's that the fruit in my life that I'm producing shows I'm a Christian. I've told people this regularly. If you have to walk around and you have to consistently tell people you're a Christian, your life isn't showing it. Your life is not showing people that you are a follower of Christ if you have to remind them and tell them that you're saved. What Jesus is telling us is that if you are truly a follower of Christ, the fruit in your life will be so evident that everyone will be able to see it. You think about it from this standpoint. All right? You walk out into an orchard of oranges. And you go out and you look and you see these round orange fruits hanging off a tree. Unless you have never seen an orange or heard about an orange in your life, 
When you walk out into that orchard, you're going to look at it and see that those are orange trees. You see the fruit produced on the tree, and you don't have to question. You don't walk out there and say, huh, I wonder if this is an apple tree. It's evident based on the fruit that's on the tree what it is. Jesus is telling us in Matthew 7, no one should have to wonder whether you're a Christian or not. The fruit that is produced in your life will be evident showing that you are my disciple. Now, many of us live with family members and friends that we will sit down and say that, well, you know, Bob over here says he's a Christian, but I swear he never goes to church. You don't see anything in his life that says he's a Christian. But I'll just take his word for it. Well, according to Scripture, I don't have to take Bob's word for it. According to Scripture, you can tell me that you're a Christian till you're blue in the face. But if there's no evidence in your life, if there is no fruit of the Spirit in your life... I have to deduce from what God's Word says, you're not saved. You cannot belong to Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in your life and be unable to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, are there some people who work harder at it? Yes. Am I saying that 99% of people in churches today are unsaved? No, it's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, there are some people who are more dedicated to serving the Lord than others. And their reward will be in heaven. There are some people, you know what? They may be saved and you might see very little fruit in their life. They're not going to get rewards for that in heaven. I'm not talking about, what I'm talking about is people that you just don't see fruit of. I know I was talking with our student ministry and they were telling me that based on the FCA and all these little uh, different organizations that are in the local school system that, you know, the majority of the school goes to these the FCA and the different Christian organizations, and because they go to these organizations, they believe that's what makes them a Christian. That if they belong to the FCA, then they're automatically a Christian. And they'll say that the majority of the kids in school, though they, they're out having premarital sex, though they're out actively using drugs, though they have horrible language and the way that they treat each other, there's racism, all these different things. Though all of that is evident, they're still... Christ followers. Really? So just by being able to belong to a, a Christian organization, it makes me saved. No, it doesn't. Just because I say that I'm a Christian, no, it doesn't. And I know this is an uncomfortable truth that we live in today. But I'll tell you what changed my life and, and, and won't belabor the point much longer. And we'll have to do the next section in the next podcast. I grew up in what you would call the American church, and I was, if you want to say, disenfranchised with the idea of what it meant to be in the Christian church. What changed my life probably more than anything was on my first mission trip when I went to Honduras. I remember that it was absolutely pouring the rain. 
And we were supposed to be going to a, a worship service that night, and I was supposed to be preaching. And they had me in the back end of this little truck that had a cover on it so I wouldn't get wet and all that. And as we were driving, we saw people walking, and we stopped specifically because there was this older gentleman. And he was walking, and he was barefoot, and, you know, it was muddy, and he had, you know, mud all over his feet and ankles up to his shins. And I remember that they stopped the truck and asked him what he was doing and where he was going and if he needed a ride. And, of course, they were talking in their own language. And I remember asking the translator, I said, what was all that about? And he said, we stopped and we asked this older gentleman if he, where he was going and if he would like a ride. And he was telling us that he was good, that he was going to the local, or the local church down the road here to where the American was going to be preaching. And he had been walking 10 miles to get to church in the rain. That American he was coming to hear preach was me. Here I am complaining about being uncomfortable because it's hot and muggy. I'm wearing a button-up shirt with a pair of slacks in the middle of Honduras. Sweating like I've never sweated in my entire life because of the humidity. Even to the point to having a little bit of an ego thinking, you know what? I'm really going to be dropping some knowledge on these people tonight. But God wasn't done there. See, God, God began to show some, uh, some areas of my life that I was struggling with and brought some humility in my life. Now, not only that, I was also wondering why we left the house so early. We left the house really early to be able to get to church that night. We got to the church doors two hours before the church service was supposed to start. When we got to the church, I could hear all kinds of voices from inside the building before I ever even opened the doors. I opened up the doors and when I looked, I was expecting to see all kinds of people just standing up and talking. Instead, I saw the altar absolutely packed to where there were five rows deep of people all the way across the altar. You couldn't have fit another body up there. They were so packed. And they were all knelt at the altar praying and I looked over at my translator and I said, what are they doing? I said, are they finishing up a church service? He said, no. He said, they've all gathered here to pray for you. They are so looking forward to being able to hear you preach this evening that they're here two hours before the service is starting so that they can pray for you and that they can pray for themselves and pray for their lost family members that they would hear the gospel and get saved tonight. Can I tell you in that moment right there, the first thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to kneel down and ask God to forgive me because what I was noticing in my own life is that I was just an arrogant, egotistical person thinking that I was going over to this third world country and going to be able to drop some Jesus knowledge on them at the age of 25. And God just absolutely crushed my soul between the older gentleman that had walked 10 miles in the mud to be able to come hear me preach and getting there two hours early and seeing probably a hundred and some people gathered on the altar praying for me knowing that it was going to be about a 15-minute sermon because of having to, 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 for me to speak and then the translator to, to be able to translate it. And these people were trusting God that much. We live in a day and time to where people won't drive 10 minutes down the road to be able to get to church. 
We live in a day and time to where people are scared to death of an altar. We live in a day and time to where the majority of the time it's not about whether you're coming to worship and coming to hear from God. It's coming to check a box off saying, I I got my Jesus in this week. In that moment over in Honduras, God radically changed my perspective of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. It's not at all what I was seeing. It's not at all what I was experiencing. We were trying to make sure when we come on Sunday mornings that we were making sure that everybody was so comfortable sitting in their pews and, you know, that we made sure that the sermons weren't offensive in any way. And we were making sure that we didn't preach too much on sin. We wanted to make sure people felt encouraged when they leave. And we want to make sure that we're done by 12 o'clock so we can be diligent with people's time. And, you know, we don't want to have Sunday evening services because we don't want to ask people to come back out because we know people are so busy and we want them to make sure that they can, you know, have their me time and all of this and what I notice is that we spend more time trying to accommodate the person than we do the Savior and I think we have it really backwards in the church today I think we have a lot of people who love to call themselves a Christian that just don't have any fruit in their lives and I'm not saying that to be ugly and I'm not saying that to be judgmental and I'm not saying that to say that I've got it all together listen I struggle daily I sin daily. As Paul said, I have to die daily. I have to try to keep myself under subjection. I've got to make sure that I'm looking at the log in my own eye before I look at the speck in somebody else's eye. But I also will tell you this. It's frustrating and heartbreaking to me to see so many people just simply walk around nonchalantly calling themselves a follower of Christ. And yet there's no fruit in their lives. What they don't realize is they're doing more damage against the kingdom of God than they could ever imagine. So the question that I want to ask is, are you a Christian and how do you know? Not, did you make a decision one day? Not, did you walk an aisle one day? Not, did you pray a prayer? Is there evidence in your life that you were once dead and now you are made alive in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit dwells within you and the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life daily. Is there evidence to show that you are a disciple of Christ? Is there enough evidence to where people can automatically see you're a follower of Christ or is it one of those things you have to consistently tell people? What I want to encourage you with is this. If you have never had a moment in your life where you've acknowledged that you are a sinner, you are dead in your sins, and you've repented of your sins, and you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life because He paid your sin debt on Calvary's cross, He rose from the dead, conquered death, hell, and the grave for you so that He could give you a personal, intimate relationship with Him to where He comes and He abides and He dwells within you to to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit so you can be His disciple. If you've never had that occur in your life, I want to encourage you to either contact me, contact someone and sit down and say, I don't really know if I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know if I'm a disciple of Christ. This is why I tell people all the time, I didn't get saved, God saved me. There's a big difference in that. And if you walk around saying you got saved, what you're doing is you're putting the emphasis on you. 
But if you are able to say, I know God saved me, then you know that you are truly saved because God is the one who did it all and He's the one dwelling within you and He's the one producing the fruit that shows everybody that you are saved. So we're going to continue this next week as we look into the book of James and talking a little bit more about this idea of are you saved? And I encourage you, if you are struggling with this or you know someone who's struggling with this idea, share this podcast with them to be able to help them to sit down and start asking some of these questions. Because listen, I believe Adrian Rogers was the one who made the statement, eternity is too long to get it wrong. There's no point in walking around saying you're a Christian when you don't even really know it. The Bible says in the book of 1 John, he said, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. So that's what I want to encourage you with today. I pray that you have a blessed day. We look forward to getting back into this topic next week as we continue in the book of James asking ourselves this question, am I a Christian?